Amen. So, hey, today we finish up this, uh, this series called OK Google, answering life's uh, biggest questions. And uh, so we've been looking at some of those just to recap where we've been. Uh, the first week we looked at uh, why do good people suffer and similar questions to that. Uh, then we looked at what happens when we die. And then last week we talked about how can I know God's will for my life. And I've been asked multiple times, multiple t- <laughs> uh, some of you were out of town and some of you weren't able to be here and you said, hey, how come there wasn't a live stream? It wasn't our media team's fault. It was rain. And so uh, we lost some pieces of equipment and couldn't turn a lot of equipment back on. In fact, our live stream is not up today as well, but um, we do have an audio recording of that message and this message. And so we're going to try to get those uh, pushed out this week. So um, I told you guys the first week, I only had three questions. And so this is week four. So I ask you guys to help me uh, by letting me know about questions that you may have. And uh, you didn't give me any. And so now we're just going to offer an invitation and we're going to go eat lunch. And y'all are as excited as the first service was about it. Um, No, I actually had two questions um, that were submitted to me, and one of them uh, really fit in the realm of what we were trying to what we're trying to do in this series. And so that that the question we're going to look at today is what happens to those who die without having never heard the gospel. Uh, We get to ask a lot of different ways. Uh, People ask it like this: What about the innocent man isolated on an island with no human contact? What about good people who are born into Muslim and Hindu and voodoo families? Does God really send these people, these good people to hell? It gets asked a lot of different ways throughout my ministry. Uh, Most of us have at least thought about it, if not wrestled with it at some heavy level. And so we're going to, I'm going to do my best today um, to like avoid emotional landmines because this is a super emotionally charged one. Um, which has kind of been the case for the entire series that we've done. Uh, As I told the first service, I'm ready to get to the Gospel of Mark next week um, because every one of these uh, messages has just been heart-wrenching for me to prepare all week and then to present to you. It was like this, almost just this heavy burden that had been lifted off to be able to share it with you and then put it on your shoulders. Um, Thank you for that. But as emotionally charged as this conversation can be, I actually believe the Bible gives us a pretty clear answer. Um, uh, so turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. That's where we'll be. Going to be flipping there. I need to flip there too. Uh, so Romans is this heavy letter. It was written by Paul, who's a, who's a New Testament apostle. And uh, it's written to a hodgepodge church um, in Rome. And uh, most of Paul's arguments center around uh, trying to address that hodgepodgeness. Uh, right? So in, Paul, in this church in Rome, you have these Jews who are viewing everything in life through a very, like an Old Testament lens, right? Like they were raised to, to hear the Old Testament, to study the Old Testament, to read the Old Testament. And so that's the view with which they have of the Bible. However, in Rome, there are also these people that were not raised in, in a Jewish environment. They were very much raised in a, in a, a multi-God Roman environment. And so they're coming to the table now having trusted in Christ with a total different uh, world lens, a worldview. And so Paul's telling them, look, you're not two different people. Stop acting like you're two different people. You're supposed to, we're in this together and you're both loving God through Christ together. You're not different, but one people. And so uh, a lot of Paul's arguments throughout Romans 
really kind of at their core are driving that. And so I'm going to read Romans 1, 18 through 25. Then we'll pray. And then we'll talk about it some more. All right, let me pray. I mean, read first. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 18, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them uh, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word, God, that we can stand on. We can know God is, is truth from beginning to end. And God, I pray that today, God, as we wrestle with this topic, um, God, that uh, it's just hard to study um, and hard to think about. Um, but God, I pray that you would give us clarity of mind today and God, allow our hearts to be moved and changed and um, and God, we would leave this place God, with a better understanding uh, of your work in the world and the role that we play in it. And so, Father God, as we always do, we pray that God, today, as we're studying your word together, that you would teach us to know you and who you are and your character and, and your love for us. Um, but God, that you would also be with us as we do this together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, the whole book of Romans contains so many just theologically rich statements, like verses that if you grew up in church, like they were the ones your Sunday school teachers made you memorize, right? Like there's so many of these things that are just dripping with depth. But when it comes to answering the question of those who have never heard, I don't believe there's a book in the Bible or a section of scripture in the whole Bible anywhere close to the level of content that we get here to answer that question. And so the first thing we have to look at is we have to kind of address some of the, uh, the emotion around this idea. Uh, so one of the ways that I've, I've heard this question is what about the innocent person um, isolated on an island, right? And so what we've got to think about is, okay, are there any innocent people in the world? And what I believe Paul is saying in this text and what it, the Bible says in many, many other places is that Paul is not saying that. He's actually saying that there's something very flawed in humanity. And we're going to look at kind of Paul's stream of thought. Uh, so Paul gives us through this text, there's three parts to this thing. There's actually five points today. Don't panic. You didn't see first service people still here when you got here. So don't freak out. But five points today. Um, the first point is this. All people know God. All people know God. Now, when I read that statement, you want to disagree with me. And I get it because that's what we do. Um, we disagree with one another, right? Um, but here's what I actually did, and you didn't realize this. I can say all people know God because that's what Paul said. So you're actually disagreeing with Paul. And then he was led by the Holy Spirit. So you're actually disagreeing with the Holy Spirit, not me or Paul. But the Holy Spirit is also fully God. So you're actually disagreeing with the God who created everything and you, not the Holy Spirit necessarily or Paul or me your problem is with God. So now that we've all got on the same level 
And we all know that we disagree with God on this statement. So let's look at the text and let's see why Paul can make such a crazy claim that all people know God. Look at verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Did you hear that? Paul says that at some level, God has revealed himself to all of humanity. And did you catch in the scripture how Paul says God has done it? Through what? Crowd participation. Through his creation. Yes, thank you. Through his creation. This is, so I'm going to teach you a fancy theological term that you can impress your friends with over coffee. All right? Because um, I try to do that and no one's ever impressed. But uh, this is a term that's been around a long time. I didn't invent it. Um, but it's general or natural revelation. And I know when you see the word revelation, you automatically think the last book of the Bible. Don't do that. Um, when, we think of, when we talk about general revelation, what we're talking about is the general or natural way that God has revealed himself to humans. So this is the way in which God reveals certain basic things about himself through his creation. And at the risk of getting even more uncomfortable, I'm going to ask a question that I actually expect answers to, and I need at least three. And so if you'll just give them to me, even if they're wrong, we can just move on, okay? So crowd participation points are on the table. My wife is at the back with stickers, ready to give you a star sticker if you answer this question. What are some things about God that you believe we can see about him through creation? When we look around at creation, what are the things that you believe we can see about God? And I'm not going to call, if you say something weird and crazy, I'm just going to, like, it's not, I'm not going to call you out, okay? So no, no wrong answers here. His beauty. beauty. Very cool. Through, through what? Through seeing what? Just name, like, something that you see God's beauty in. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. What'd you say, Miss? Uh, oh, Kathy. The weather? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so what are you seeing about God through that? His power. Maybe his provision, too? Yeah, provision. Creation of life. That's cool. That's three. We can go as high as five, but I have to shut it off there. Orderly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll stop there at four, but you can email me if you had any others. Um, I always think, uh, y'all had awesome ones, and, and I don't disagree with any of those. I always think, though, in my head, it's the big things and the small things. So I look at the big things, these planets, this huge universe that God has created, and I'm blown away by God's bigness. Right? Because if God created these big things, then he must be bigger than them. Amen? <laughs> and so, I see that, and then I'll, but then I also look at the small things. Right? Uh, this is where Patrick over here probably is hitting on the same thing I'm thinking about. Like, and that's what I love about science. The more science is discovering about the world, and the smaller those little particles of, hum, of the human body get. I don't even know what we're down to now. When I was in school, it was a certain point, but now I'm sure we've drove farther into... DNA and all that than that. But like the further we drive down, the more I go, don't you see it? 
Like God is not only big and he's more powerful because he created all of these big things, but he has such attention to detail as we look down at the minute, smallest particles of his creation. And so Paul here agrees with me in a lot of ways, or I agree with him, I guess, that, that Paul says he brought out two things, eternal power and divine nature. So his power and then his divinity, which is like his otherness, the things that make him God, like just that, that there must be some other being, that we look around at all this and we're recognizing that, that there is a God. But here's what you need to see. And, and again, this sounds so elementary, but like in my head, this is important. So hear it, if you will. Paul's not, when he's talking about these people, he's speaking past tense of people, but there's no reason for us to believe that anything has changed. Paul's not just saying that like one of your friends or your neighbors who like grew up in church, like going to church with grandma or a cousin or something like that, looks around and goes, wow, God's so big. Like he's not just saying that. He is also saying that all people everywhere have a certain knowledge of God by looking around at creation. Your coworker who has not trusted in Jesus knows something about God through creation. And I will argue, or Paul did, that the man living in isolation on some, on, on some island with no human contact can know the exact same things about God. Now, Paul goes on in chapter 2 to extend that general revelation, uh, Genesis, or Genesis, goodness, Romans 2, 12 through 16. He begins to talk about, and we don't have time to unpack it all, but he begins to talk about this, this unwritten law, this, uh, this morality that's written onto the heart of man that we feel bad when we do certain things, that countries even a lot different than us that are based in other religions still develop laws that are based on some sort of thing written in their heart. A conscience is what Paul calls it. And so again, we have this conscience within us, this unwritten law in our hearts pointing that there must be somebody that put it there. You can read that if you're interested. But what we know is that God has revealed himself to all of humanity through all times and in all locations. However, what Paul helps us begin to see is that there's something missing. There's something, there's something, uh, there's something more that's needed because Paul ends the verses I read to you, verse 20, he ends it by saying that we are all left without an excuse, which doesn't sound like an encouraging thing. So it leaves us all without excuse for your note taker. That's point number two. Romans 1.20, look at it with me. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Listen to this. As a result, because God has revealed himself in this way, people are without excuse. I'm raising a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And there's one conversation that we have over and over and over again at our house. And if you have kids, you've been around a kid for five minutes, you've heard this argument. That's not fair. We have this talk all the time at our house. <laughs> That's not fair. All the time. Ugh. And if you only have one child in the room and you're planning to have another, get ready, it's coming. But it's not fair, right? Why does he get this? Why does she get this? Why do they get to go to that party? Why do I not get to go? Like all this stuff. And so I look around, and, but I, the thing that gives me hope as I wrestle with this with our children is I realize that my children are only products of the world that they've been created in and the sinfulness that they inherited. Because what I know is that humanity has been crying out against our all-powerful God from the very beginning, that's not fair. 
from the very beginning. I'll make the argument throughout the story of redemption in the Bible and really even hints of it back to the garden. If you remember the way the serpent talked to the woman, he was trying to convince her that God was, God was holding something back from her and, the, and Adam, that God was, God was keeping something that they couldn't have. And, and there's almost this idea of it not being fair in the moment. And so Paul says here, we can't say that God didn't try to show us who he was. That's the point. God's revealed himself through nature. He baked his nature right into creation. We see evidence of him and what he has made, but Paul's indictment of humanity can sound a little harsh. He leaves us without excuse, but it's because of where Paul goes next. The reason why he says this knowledge leaves us without excuse is because point number three, everyone rejects God. Hopefully this will start to make sense. Romans 1, 21 through 25, I'm going to read these verses. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the, sinful, the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Now here's what you got to remember. I'm fixing to read through the list of accusations that Paul makes against humanity. But remember that this is us too. Look at these accusations. They knew God, but didn't glorify him. They didn't show him gratitude. Their senseless hearts were dark. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of stuff. They had sinful desires. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served what has been created, not the creator. In anybody's terms, that's quite a rap sheet right? That's some heavy accusations. That stuff sounds really bad, even if you don't understand all the words. That sounds like bad stuff. And it's easy for us to think of the outspoken atheist that got on TV and was arguing on Fox News that you saw yesterday. I don't even know if that happened, but it's a good stab in the dark, right? At some point last week, there was an atheist arguing about something on Fox News, right? Okay, awkward. Y'all are all Fox News fans and you took that personal. Sorry. But there's the, the, we, we can predict this stuff, right? So we can, we can all look to some, to some person like that who just is mocking God. And we can say, yes, this stuff is true of them. He, he knew God, but he didn't glorify him. He didn't show God gratitude. His senseless heart is dark. He's exchanged the glory of God for, the, for, for images of stuff. He has sinful desires and he's given in to him. He's exchanged the, glory, the truth of God for a lie. He's worshiped and served what has been created, not the creator. But what we have to recognize is that Paul is not talking about the outspoken atheist on Fox News. He's talking about every human who has ever lived, including me and you. So, not only the outspoken atheist on Fox News, but the innocent guy living in the isolation on the island. We already saw that God has revealed himself to that guy. 
Well, guess what? The Bible says not only is that truth absolutely true, that God has revealed himself to that guy who's living in isolation by himself on the island, God also, through his word, through the writing of Paul, guarantees us 100% that that man has turned his back on God, even with the little bit of knowledge he's been given, and is denying that knowledge. And God, y'all, this hits at, this hits at something that like, I don't like to talk about, because I like to think that we're all good. You know what I mean? I like to think that people are good. Like that when, when my neighbor tells me he's going to help me with something, he's going to do it. When the pastor, some other pastor, not me, when the pastor says he's going to call you and check on you, that he's going to. Like when your family says they love you, that they mean it. Like I'm, I like to think that humans are good, but the truth is the Bible and surely... I'm 35 years old. 35 years of living has proved to me that that is not the case. Humans are not innately good anymore. That got broken in the garden, and we are now innately bad. We are broken creatures who lash out at any help that is offered, and we try to make our own path because we know better than anybody. We've got to begin to see humanity this way. I've heard Christians say, Man, the world's just so much more evil than it was when I was young. 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Like, I, I know that. I think this, I, sometimes I think the same thing, but here's what you gotta recognize. The world has been evil since the fall of man. Now, the way that gets fleshed out, right, the, the percentage of people acting on those base desires, um, the, the, the sins that are celebrated in the world may change, but evil has always been around. The, the, nothing has changed. We're still living in a broken society of broken people. And apart from the work of Christ in our lives, we too are broken. And y'all, if you can begin to see it that way, it will help you so much. It'll help us as a church. Because it'll remind you that people in the world just don't need to do better. Right? Like that's what we scream at our TVs, don't we? When you're watching the news. And you see this evil go on. These evil people doing evil things. These broken people doing broken things. What do we scream? Why can't they get it together? Why in the world are they doing this or that? Why is there this sin? Why is that we fuss about sinners in our country and in others? But I'll just argue that the, the more Christian response when we're watching the news must be to cry out, to the one who can actually enact change into that brokenness and beg him to lead us to repent, not simply hating broken people. Our prayer, if we can get there, our prayers won't be, God, wipe that country off the face of the earth. Wipe that, that, that leadership. Wipe that, wipe, do this, God. It will be God, lead those who are broken in that country to repent. Fix their brokenness. God, please. One of the worst things for the American church, one of the, one of the things that rallied the American church yet pointed out a deep-rooted racism and bigotry, I believe, was 9-11. 9-11 brought 
people to church that hadn't been to church in a long time because they thought the world was in it and they shh. And we ran to church because we had questions. We didn't know what was going on. But what began to happen, and I heard it in the church I grew up in, I, I began to hear that we developed a hatred and a racism as Americans and as American Christians towards people who were from particular countries and had particular religion. However, now that we've seen this passage and we recognize that at the core of those people who drove planes into towers is the same problem that is in your heart, that we recognize there is a God through his creation, yet we choose not to obey him and figure it out our own way. This is a fundamental it's a fundamental truth to our understanding of God's work in the world. If people everywhere all over the world are in some way experiencing God's nature through creation, we see that. But they are also, we also see that they are rejecting that knowledge. Paul says that leaves them without excuses before God. What does that mean? It means that they are dead in sin, unable to help themselves. Paul says that in Ephesians 2. They are separated from God in a relationship on earth, right? Like everyone everywhere around the world can see that there is a God. They're choosing to reject that knowledge. It leaves them without excuse and it separates them from God in a relationship on earth. But what does it mean for their eternity? What is the answer for this problem? Whether it be around the world in a 1040 window where someone's never heard the name of Jesus or whether it's someone, a kid in our kids building today, the answer is the same. God sent his son to die for us. And if we will believe and repent in his death, burial, and resurrection, we can be saved. And church, here's the problem with that. You won't learn that by looking at the stars. You won't learn that Jesus died on the cross from you by reading tree bark. So what's fundamentally lacking about general revelation, it's, it's insufficient to save us from sin. But there is a knowledge that the Bible teaches us, a revelation, however, that can save us from our brokenness. Romans 3.22 says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know, that, you, that they may know God, or the, you may know you, he's talking to God the Father, the one true God, but not just that, that they also know the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's a big and. It's a big and. Not only know God, but know the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven, given to people by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What this means is that whether there is a lost person in our kids' building today or a lost person in the 1040 window on the other side of the world, their answer, the answer for their brokenness is the same. They need to hear about the story of Jesus and they need to trust in his name. That's point number four. Jesus is the answer for all of them. No matter how devout a Muslim may be, 
No matter how good a dad a Buddhist may be, no matter how much money an atheist gives to charity, they are eternally separated from God until they believe on the name of Jesus. Because they've seen God in creation and they've chosen in their sinfulness not to follow him. Some people will try to argue mostly from emotion that those who have not heard about Jesus somehow get to plea ignorance at the judgment seat of Christ. So, hey, you didn't tell me about Jesus, so you got to let me in. But I believe this shows how fundamentally skewed our view of salvation is. I read a quote this week from a pastor who said this, humans aren't guilty because they haven't heard the gospel. They're guilty because they haven't honored their creator. In other words, he says, they're guilty not because of the absence of something, but because of the presence of something. You see, we often think that the standard position of mankind is somehow in the middle, choosing between God and choosing rebellion. And each person is sitting on this fence with that, with that choice, but that's not the case. The Bible teaches us that we are not in the middle. We are not riding the fence. The Bible says we are, we've fallen off this side of the fence and we are rebellious from the start. We are separated from God from the start. We're unable to fix it on our own from the start. Therefore, it is not our choice or lack of choice in life that condemns us to hell. It's our very nature as sinners. Do you see that, church? That's important. We understand that. That's why salvation is such a big deal. It's not us sitting on a fence and choosing the right side of the fence to live on. It is God breaking the fence down as he pulls us from rebellion into redemption. It's an important distinction it frames our view of those we consider unreached around the world and what our calling to them is. If they are not responsible for what they do not know, if God's going to let them plead ignorance at the judgment seat, then the worst thing we can do is tell them about Jesus because now they're accountable to it. If we let them live in ignorance, God's going to let them in, they're, good, they're better off. It doesn't make sense. If that's the case, let's shut all mission work down. Let's bring missionaries home and let's just ride it out. But what we know is that human beings everywhere in, the, in America and around the world are all living in a state of rebellion without Christ. And they have no hope if we do not tell them about Jesus. That's what Paul says in Romans 10, 14. How can they call on him who they have not believed? How can they believe Unless they hear. And how can they hear without a preacher? And don't think preacher like me. Pre that preacher just means someone to proclaim. Someone to tell them. They cannot call on Jesus until they believe. They cannot believe until they hear. And they cannot hear unless someone tells them. Church, we can and should, as Christians, take the gospel to those who most desperately need it. This knowledge that the Bible says that can save us is what we call special or specific revelation. If you're taking notes, write that down. This is the unique way in which God has revealed himself through his word and through the person, of, person and work of Jesus. It's special in that it's not given through creation. But it's given through his word and through the stories of Jesus. And many, have, many around the world have no Bible in their language, so there goes that. And they, encounter, they will live a long, full life and encounter no believers in their lifetime. 
So the question remains, how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone goes and tells them? On that note, I want to share with you uh, just from, so I've read Romans 1, 18 through 25 and studied and read over the years and try to develop a kind of a theology, I guess, of unreached peoples. But man, I've totally missed verses 14 through 16 and uh, verse 14 especially. And so I want to share that with you um, as God opened my eyes to see this this week. Paul says this, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Did you hear what Paul just said? That O word, the third word in that verse, jumped off the page, slapped me in the face and brought conviction on me from God's work and the Holy Spirit in me. Paul said, I am obligated to preach the gospel to both Greeks and barbarians, two terms we don't throw around a whole lot. So Greeks would have been those with ethnicities that, more, that were more native to the region and barbarians was a term for the foreigners who were living in the land. And Paul says, I'm obligated to them. I'm obligated to preach the gospel to them. Why? This was what fueled Paul's ministry it's why he, tried, he spent most, after his encounter with Christ, he learned and learned and then he went around the world. He traveled the known world preaching the gospel because he was obligated. Paul believed that because he owned the gospel, he owed the gospel. You catch that? Because he owned the gospel, the gospel had been made alive to him. He owed that gospel to other people. And it changed his mindset. It changed the way he did ministry. And I'll argue, golly, it would change our ministry too, wouldn't it? That mindset change would, would radically reform the way we engage with the world. So point number five is this. If, if people can know God, but they're going to reject that knowledge of God through creation they need to know about Jesus, then it's point number five, it's our responsibility. This is the case, and missions isn't something we feel is a cool thing for super Christians. We don't do it out of pity for the people who are worse off than us. According to Paul, the reason we need to, to the best of our ability, tell other people about Jesus is that it's born out of a humility that says, I didn't deserve to be saved either. But someone told me, church, someone told me, I remember Patrick praying that one day before a service, that somebody told him. You know, if you thought, because I grew up in church, a lot of people told me about the gospel because I was in Sunday school, where, all that. But somebody shared the gospel with you. And that, that should bring a humility that says, I need to tell others, therefore. Robbie Gallaty, who's a pastor in Tennessee, said this. He says this all the time. He's a cliche machine, man. But he says this, the gospel came to you because it was going to someone else. 
What a great mentality to have. That's the obligation that Paul had. Paul says, the gospel came to me when I needed it the most, and I want to be that conduit to carry the gospel to someone else. But Heath, I know what you're asking, Heath. I mean, how many people really haven't heard about Jesus? Do you know there's a thing called the internet? Do you know that a third of the world has no access to the internet? One out of three. In some countries, it's so restricted what they can access that they don't get to choose like we do. When we start thinking about how many unreached people there are in the world, so you know, the, the term unreached is used for people groups that are less than 2% Christian. So which means there's little to no access to the gospel. We talked about it yesterday at our leadership one day. Sean Cooper from Arkansas shared with us. But here's what I need you to know. That number of people who have little to no access to the gospel around the world is 3.2 billion. Did you hear what I just said? 3.2 buh, buh, billion and I know we're in America and we got like a hundred trillion dollars in debt or something, right? It's like numbers don't shock us. Throw as many zeros on there as you want. Like it doesn't matter. So here's what I need to know. I, need, I had a buddy, uh, Jody Evans. He, he married my wife's cousin. I don't know why I share that with you, but anyway, he's a good guy. But he said this not long ago. I don't know if you know, Tiger Woods was offered a billion-dollar contract to go play golf in this new Indian uh, golf. If you research it, it's crazy, the money that these Indian-based uh, 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 PGA-type thing are offering to guys. But he was offered one billion-dollar contract. Anyway, and what he told me, it stuck with me. He said, that's billion with a B. He said, that's 999 999,999,999 plus one. And I don't know why, but I was like, it is. <laughs> like, I don't need a calculator, but that sounds so much bigger when you throw all the nines in there. 999 million, 999,999 plus one. And then to get to the unreached people number that we're throwing out there, we got to multiply it by over three. I'm not going to blow you away with more math. But y'all, that's a big deal. And we're going to get involved at some level. For now, we ask you to pray. We, we ask you to pray in these ways. We ask you to pray that God would make ways for missionaries to get into these areas. We pray that God would continue to call up missionaries to go to these places because they're oftentimes not easy places to live for Christians. And we ask you to pray that God would save those who have rejected all knowledge of him that's available through creation, as the word of God says. We ask you to pray for us as a church to clearly understand God's direction on this topic for the future. Because to answer the question, what about those who die never hearing about Jesus, I feel the clearest answer from scripture is that they are dying every day separated from God and will remain so eternally.
Now, I know that's a sobering discussion to end on. Honestly, I thought I was hoping y'all would ask like, hey, Heath, how did God make men and women different or something fun that like I could make jokes about? But you didn't. You asked a deep and hard question and I'm glad you did because it's something we need to wrestle with. That's a real question. I appreciate it. And I've wrestled with it myself and I continue to wrestle with it. But I know what God's word has said on the topic. There is one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus the Christ. And our neighbors need to hear it. People in Alaska need to hear it. And people in every country in the world need to hear it. To be saved. Today as we close, we're going to sing another song. You may want to spend time praying right where you are. You may want to come up to this altar and pray for the unreached peoples of the world, the 3.2 billion with little to no access. You may want to come and pray for our church in this effort. What, what role we might play in the future. You may want to spend time praying that you're, about your own calling of what God may have you or your family do in the future regarding unreached peoples. You may want to worship God for reaching into your rebellion and saving you, kicking the fence down that you thought you were sitting on and jerking your tail into redemption. Some of you may recognize in this moment that you've had some basic knowledge of God, whether through creation or sitting in a church you may recognize that there is a God, but you have not trusted fully in the name of Jesus. Surrendering all you are and all you have to him. Today, God's word says you need to be saved. I just read 4,000 verses as quick as I could to show you that earlier. We would love to talk with you about that decision, about what it looks like to follow Jesus or any other decision that may be on your heart or mind. But we're going to sing one more song. This is a time of response, and this space up here will be open for you to come and pray. Um, but I'll be back at the back as well uh, to help you with any decisions. But I'm going to pray, and I'll let, uh, let's, after I pray, we'll stand, stand and sing. Father God, we thank you, uh, God, for your word. God, we do believe it. Uh, God, even the parts we don't want to believe, God, the things that are hard. Um, but God, what I know is that God, you set this thing up. God, you, you, uh, you set it up so that, that we as human beings get to partake in the, in the spread of the gospel. And God, I, it's, a, it's a glorious task that we get to do, but God, it's a heavy one. It's an expensive one. It's a, it's a difficult thing to even think about. And so God, I pray that you would help us as Christians, God, not to be so... Uh, American-centric that we forget that, God, there are many, many other countries, uh, God, that are going through stuff, God, that are a lot worse than what our country faces on a daily basis. Uh, God, it seems bad to us here, but, God, there's a lot of things going on. And, God, the gospel uh, has been suppressed and, uh, God, not allowed in into many, many places. And God, I pray, uh, God, today for those unreached peoples. And God, that you would, um, that you would reach in 
through us, through Christians, American Christians, Chinese Christians, um, European Christians, that you would use us together to reach into the darkness. And God, through your spirit, uh, see folks saved. God, I thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to open your word today. God, I pray that we are humbled um, at your salvation, but God, that we are driven uh, to help you through your spirit, fulfill the task um, of reaching the nations. And so, Father God, we believe this. God, we, we ask that you would help us to be obedient in all the ways that we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, let's stand and, and sing.